Well, we'll be all right if the Lord be on our side. We'll be all right if the Lord be on our side. We'll be all right if the Lord be on our side. And the Lord is on our side. Remember, I told you this week we're going to talk about practical apologetics. Last week was a lot about the theory of apologetics. It was a lot of the doctrine that surrounds it. It was giving you the mindset and the, the philosophy that comes behind doing this. This week, we're going to talk about the actual boots on the ground, having conversations, how to think through what's being said, and things like that. You guys good with that? Which is to say, last week was impractical apologetics, and this week is practical. You know, thanks for laughing at that. I told that joke to my wife, and she just stared at me. So, being as tonight, though, is about actually thinking through the arguments, we're going to actually look at some common arguments. We're going to look at some things that uh, you're going to hear unbelievers say often. What I don't want you to do, though, listen very carefully, what I do not want you to do is just memorize the argument. I want you to actually understand the concept and why we're arguing the way that we are. So I told you last week, all of this really boils down to asking the unbeliever the question, by what standard? Okay. And what a lot of guys that are studying apologetics have done is taken that one question, memorized that one question, and that's all they have to say. They sound like a parrot. They just walk around. Any conversation they get into, by what standard? By, well, how about you learn what we're asking when we ask that question? Learn the concept behind this. Don't just regurgitate what you hear. All right? One, if you try to do that, you're going to end up making yourself look foolish to the unbeliever. Well, this guy's using a whole bunch of words. He has no idea what they mean. How do I know? Because I asked him what they meant. Don't just memorize the argument, memorize or learn the concepts themselves, okay? Don't just regurgitate. So what we're going to give you tonight is a what I call a checklist of defects. A checklist of defects. And what this is, is when you're listening to an unbeliever, when you're listening to them talk about anything, I don't care what it is, what topic it is, when you're listening to them articulate their worldview or any part of their worldview, you want to be asking these questions to yourself. You want to be thinking, okay, the questions I'm going to show you, is it arbitrary? You want to ask that question. You want to ask, is it mere opinion? You want to ask, what are the preconditions for this? I'm going to tell you what that means in a few minutes. But you're going to, you want to naturally assume these questions as you're engaging with it. This is what's going to tell you what they think, and it's going to tell you what to do next. There are three things I have listed. So you want to ask, is it arbitrary? You want to ask, is it inconsistent? You're listening to the unbeliever, and they're telling you that they believe that Aliens dropped us here 26 billion years ago. And the reason we know this, and they're going to go on and explain all this kind of stuff they got from Alex Jones, and while you're listening to it, you want to be asking these questions. Is it arbitrary? Is it inconsistent? Or what are the preconditions for this? What are the preconditions for this? Now we're going to look at each one of these individually and see what they mean. Okay? Is it arbitrary? Is it based on or determined by individual preference or convenience rather than by necessity or intrinsic value? So if you remember the clip we watched from my debate two weeks ago, I kept asking him the question, if the Bible is to be removed from the equation, if we don't stand on what the Bible says, if it's not our source for truth and what's right and wrong, then why is it wrong to do X, Y, and Z. Why is it wrong to murder? Why is, it, why is it wrong to enslave people? Why is it wrong to do whatever you want to list? And after a few minutes, he finally said, because I don't like it. That is the root of arbitrariness. There's no reason outside of him. There's no standard that exists outside of him. There is no, no uh, real meaning or weight or value to it other than it's his opinion. 
It's his opinion. There was a young man that used to work at Waffle House. Of course, I was frequently there. Uh, one evening he approached me and said that Christian, Christianity cannot be logically true. It cannot be logically true. That's just what he opened with. I said, okay, why not? He informed me that because there are so many different religions out there, and there's been so many religions throughout history, it doesn't make logical sense for only one of them to be true. Okay? The problem with that is, that's not a logical problem. You don't like that only one can be true, but it's not a logical problem. In the same way, there are millions of examples of counterfeit cash in America. Does that mean that there is not one true U.S. note? There absolutely is. There's millions of counterfeit churches. Does that not mean there's one true church that belongs to Christ? Absolutely. It's not a logical problem. That was his opinion. He didn't like that there was only one. He didn't like that all these other ones were wrong. Well, that's fine that you don't like it. That's <laughs> Oh, well. And guess what? Your response to that kind of person is, who cares? If the argument that they are giving you, which by the way, mere opinion is one of the most common arguments you will come across today. I just don't think. I just don't like. In my opinion, this. Or I believe it's this. Your response to that is, who cares? We're not asking here for the eternal value of what you think. We're asking what's true. We're asking what's right. We're asking what's real. Because if all, if all this is what you think, one day you're going to die. And what you think doesn't matter anymore. It doesn't matter what you think. But this, let me, go, let me tell you guys, this is one of the most common things you're going to come across today. I had a conversation a few weeks ago with a young lady who told me that all religions are basically saying the same thing. I'm like, well, no, they're, they're really not, actually. I, I'm not going to argue with you about it. I know they are. Well, that's your opinion, and it's wrong. So that leads to the next one. Relativism. Relativism. How many of you have heard this statement? What's true for you is true for you. If it works for you. Different strokes for different folks. What's your truth? What's your truth and my truth? Yep, yep. That's, this is another very common one that we see today. The problem with this is, if every individual determines what's true for them, then the actions of Hitler are equal to the actions of Mother Teresa. They determine what was right for them. Now, what fool would say that those two are equal? It, what's true for you is true for you. It is utter foolishness. It's one of the most common things we're going to hear today, or here in the world today. I was talking with a young lady a while back who told me that she knows that she's going to go to heaven one day because she's a good person. So I asked her the question, well, how do you know that you're a good person? How do you know? Well, because I do good things. Because I do good things. Well, how do you, by what standard, go back to that question, how do you judge that you're a good person? I just know that I am. And then finally, I kept asking her a little bit, phrasing the question a little bit differently, trying to get her to really understand what I'm asking her. And finally, it came down to, I know I'm good because I do things that I believe are good. It's relative. What if what I say is true says what you say is true is false? Which, by the way, that's, that is the case. I believe you're absolutely wrong in this. Whose truth is true? Mine or yours? It doesn't go anywhere. It lives in conflict. And people, the sad thing is, in the world we live in today, people will embrace that. Yeah, we disagree. And who cares? Well, we can't all be true. Which, by the way, if the response of somebody to that is, you know, yes, what's true for you is true for you, what's true for me is true for me, and it doesn't matter that we're in contradiction with each other, if the response to that is, 
So what? You don't have to continue talking to the person about it. So point. Jesus said, don't cast your pearl before swine. I know that sounds harsh, but that's what it is. This is by nature self-refuting. The third one, ignorant speculation, or as I call it, meme theology. Ignorant speculation, or as I call it, meme theology. Guys, you would not believe the amount of people that will come to me with an, with an argument, with a disagreement for what I have said or what I believe, and it's something they read on the internet, not even from a journal, not from a university, not from an academic background, but from a meme their friend shared on Facebook. I saw one a while back. A guy that I went to high school with shared it, and it was... Um, I don't recall exactly how it was phrased, but the Bible can't be trusted because it's been edited so many times over history. And the meme went on to, to compare it to the game of telephone, where if I tell you a message, you tell her that message, you tell her that message, and so on and so forth. By the time it gets to you, it's been corrupted. It's not the original message. And the problem with that is, it came from a meme, it's historically stupid. And you don't have to be a believer to affirm this. That's not how it was translated. <laughs> That's not how we got the Bible. But we saw it on the internet. It sounded cool. Ignorant speculation. Ignorant speculation. A few years ago, I was debating an atheist, and in his opening statement, he told me that one of the biggest problems he has with Christianity is that Christianity requires us to submit to the government. It's about controlling people, which, by the way, if you know anything about historic Christianity, that's not true. But he didn't. Ignorant speculation. Anyway, he went on to say, when Romans 13, which tells us to submit to the governing authorities, was written, it was written at the time that Constantine was trying to force the whole world to become Christian. To which I calmly pointed out to him, well, Romans 13 was written in 57 AD. Constantine wasn't even born until 272. Ignorant speculation. But guys, you will be amazed by how many people will just throw these things out there. It's what they've heard their whole life. It's what their friends have been saying. It's what they see on Facebook or Twitter or whatever the cool social apps are these days. Instagram. It's what they see and it goes with what we talked about last week. What are they naturally inclined to do? They're naturally inclined to oppose the truth. They're naturally biased against the truth. So when something like this pops up, they just grab onto it. It's more ammo. Have you ever heard of confirmation bias? It's the idea where people will only frequent news sites or um, uh, learning material that supports what they already believe. Whether it's true or not doesn't matter. But that is exactly what this is, ignorant speculation. The fun thing about ignorant speculation, I'd be careful doing this because you can come off as a bit of a jerk. If they can ignorantly speculate whatever they want, so can I. So can I. The book of Matthew, did you know? And I've used this with them before. Did you know the book of Matthew, the entire book, was actually written, actually written by the prophet Isaiah thousands of years before it ever happened. And then Matthew found it. And all of this happened exactly as he said it would. Thousands of years before it happened, down to the names, the places, details, everything. And I'll say, no, it didn't. I said, well, if, I can, if you can assert random things, so can I. If you don't have to prove your sources, if you don't have to have evidence, if you can just say what you want, it's true, then so can I. Now, we know that's not what happened, right? Just to be clear, we all know Matthew was not written. In, okay. but, you get, but, you get what, but you get what I'm saying, though. You get what I'm saying. If I can claim that this was laid out in exact detail, names, places, persons, all of it, in utter detail down to the last decimal, thousands of years before it happened, then guess what? If you can claim what you want, I can claim what I want. It goes both ways. You want to look for prejudice. 
Okay, when, when you're dealing with ignorant speculation, you want to look for prejudice. You want to look for bias assumptions. When they're talking to you, when they're explaining to you what they believe or critiquing what you believe, you want to look for bias assumptions, such as the Bible should be treated just like any other book. It, now, most Christians would respond to that with, absolutely, let's treat it like any other book and let's look at it objectively. But like we talked about last week, no one's neutral. You should never say, yeah, let's just look at it like any other book. No, you say, no, no, this is the Word of God. This is inspired by the Holy Spirit. This is God's Word to man. This is what He has revealed to us. It's not just like any other book. But again, look for the bias. The bias is, you know, that you will hear is the Bible it's just to be treated like any other book. And you're going to hear that about all kinds of things. You want to look for the bias assumptions. You want to look for the baseless accusations. The baseless accusations. I had a guy tell me one time, yeah, but you don't know that what you're reading in John wasn't edited by some guy, you know, thousands and thousands of years ago, and now you just have what's, you know, it's not true. You don't know that, he said. I'm like, Okay. You don't know that he did. I'm supposed to be defeated by a hypothetical? <laughs> I'm supposed to be de- defeated by a baseless accusation? What's your evidence that this happened? What's your evidence that the text has been edited? Show me in the textual tradition where this happened. Well, I don't have any evidence for it, but, you know, it's possible. Baseless accusations. You're accusing the text of being false. You're accusing the Christian faith of being false, and you have absolutely no evidence for your accusation. And We're going to talk about tactics later that really will help with that. And then lastly, ignorance. That goes back to the example I gave earlier. The Bible is like the telephone game. Well, now I know you've never read a book. Now I know you've never studied the issue. And the thing is, just to be clear about something with unbelievers, it's not a problem if someone's not well studied on an issue. It's not. Nobody studies everything, all right? The problem is, though, when you haven't studied it or the unbeliever hasn't studied it, and now they're throwing it at you. Look for that and embarrass them, honestly. We're going to talk about that later, but I'm going to tell you, embarrass them. Ask for the receipts. Tell me where you got that from. Show me where you got this. Give me the evidence. And when, by the way, when they can't do that, they really start acting foolish. (laughs) Is it consistent? B, is it consistent? You want to be asking yourself the question, is what they are saying to me consistent? Is the worldview they're articulating consistent? Is their argument consistent? You want to, there's, there's a few type of uh, there are a few types of inconsistencies I want you to look for. Okay, what I really want you to do actually is to get through this list and then go back and memorize this list, and then I promise you, by nature, you won't even think about doing it. You'll just start listening to someone, and you can't help but pick apart what they're saying. Don't do it with your spouse; it drives them nuts. <laughs> you want to look for a logical fallacies. You want to look for logical fallacies. The first version of inconsistency, a logical fallacy. Some examples of logical fallacies. Now, real quick, logic used to be a class that everyone was required to take. Okay, If if it was up to me, everyone would be required to take it again. (laughs) It's one of the most important classes you can ever take. You can find a free logic course online. I highly recommend you take it. All right. Trust me in this. If you can learn just the basic, bare-bones understanding of logic and and rational thinking and logical thinking, if you can understand that, you'll be comparatively a genius to the majority of people you deal with who have no idea how to be logical at all. We are that far removed from logic that just a little bit of rudimentary training and you'll blow their socks off. So the uh, the first form of logical fallacy you want to look for is the ad hominem. 
Ad hominem. Ad hominem. It means attacking the man and not the position. Attacking the man and not the position. I absolutely love it when I'm talking to somebody about the faith and I am, I'm explaining to them why their argument is coming apart and why the Christian worldview only makes sense of what we're talking about. And the answer I get is a whole bunch of curse words ending with, you're just an idiot. Okay, well, how about you go back to my argument? Attacking the man and not the position. An, an example of this. They will tell you that Christians supported the Inquisitions. They supported slavery. They supported the Crusades. And therefore, Christianity is false or bad or evil. It has nothing to do with the truth of what's being said. There's nothing to do with the, the philosophy, the worldview behind Christianity. That's attacking the man. That's not a dealing with the argument. Deal with the argument. And we're actually going to deal with that argument later tonight. Unbelievers will often tell you that uh, you're a Christian simply because, how many of you have probably heard this, simply because you were born in America to a Christian home, and you probably were born in the Bible Belt even. And that's, because, that's why you're a Christian now. Have you ever heard that? You were a Christian because basically you were raised in a context to make you one. And Christians oftentimes squirm at that. And my response is, it's ad hominem. You're attacking me. You're not dealing with my argument. It doesn't matter my context. It doesn't matter my background. I'm putting forth an argument for this being true. And all you have to say is, I don't like where you come from. <laughs> so I had, a, I had a friend of mine, actually, a good friend of mine, tell me that the reason I'm a, I am who I am, this is like a couple months ago, the reason I believe what I believe is because I was raised in a Christian home and raised in the church. He was also raised in a Christian home and raised in the church, and he's an atheist. So I pointed out to him that that doesn't bury any water, considering you left the faith. Your argument's not worth you know, One of us is wrong here. Um, Ad hominem arguments, though, is where they attack the man and not the person. How many of you have watched Breaking Bad? It's the best show ever written. If you haven't watched it, then you're behind in sanctification. For those of you who know the show, I have an illustration that, that fits with what an ad hominem is, okay? If your chemistry teacher was Walter White, okay, would it change the truth of what he taught you about compound structures and chemicals? Would the fact that you were taught by a mass murdering meth cook change the fact that he taught you the periodic table? No. To, to say that, oh, you learned chemistry from Walter White, well, that means you must be wrong. That's an ad hominem. It has nothing to do with the truth that you learned in chemistry class. In the same way, an ad hominem argument is attacking the person and not the argument. And the best thing to do in dealing with that, honestly, is to call them out on it. Honestly, to respond with, and you can respond politely. You don't have to, you know, respond with, you know, Frank. Um, you can respond politely with, hey, why don't you go back to the argument? Or, hey, why don't you deal with what I'm saying? Um, I oftentimes will actually just respond with, I'm not going to answer anything you say until you deal with the argument that I've made. Another one, begging the question. Begging the question. This means that they are assuming the conclusion in the premise. Now, I'm going to explain what that means in just a second, but, but the idea of begging the question. An example, the Bible cannot be true because it contains miracles, and miracles are not possible. Okay, that's an example of begging the question. The person is saying the Bible can't be true because it contains miracles, and miracles are impossible. Well, I'm saying the Bible is true, and that it attests to miracles, therefore miracles happened, and you're saying that's not possible because miracles didn't happen. You understand what I'm saying here? They're assuming that miracles don't happen, therefore this can't be true, rather than, rather than saying, okay, this isn't true, let's deal with the actual argument. Am I explaining that well enough real quick? That's an important one. i got another example here that might help. 
um, in, in that illustration, the Bible cannot be true because it contains miracles and miracles are not possible. The unstated assumption in this argument is that the laws of nature cannot be violated. Okay, miracles can't happen. They violate the laws of nature, which is really the assumption that supernatural miracles cannot occur. So they're, follow me out or hear what I'm saying real quick. Just, just stick, stick around for just a second. They're saying miracles aren't possible because we know nature acts in a uniform fashion. And I'm saying miracles by nature are the suspension of nature. <laughs> they're when things happen that don't normally happen in nature. So you can't say we know they don't happen because they don't happen. That's what you're telling me. Um, another example I have that might make this a little clearer. This is a little hard to explain this one, I'll admit. I debated a mystic a few years back. And I asked him how he knew murder was wrong. I asked him how he knew murder was wrong. He responded by telling me that we know murder is wrong because we've evolved to know that we shouldn't hurt people. That is an example of begging the question. I'm asking you how we know it's wrong, and you're saying to me we know it's wrong because it's wrong. Does that make more sense now? If you don't get this, tell me. I want you to get this, okay? I want you to get this. You're telling me it's wrong to do something, so I'm saying, why is that wrong? And you're saying it's wrong because it's wrong. That's begging the question. I'm, I'm, not a, I'm asking you to tell me what's wrong. This is similar to using the definition of a word, or I'm sorry, using the word to define the word. It's the same concept. You want to look for another Latin, Latin phrase. Reductio ad absurdum, we talked about last time. What this means is reduced to absurdity. Reduced to absurdity. It means you started out with an argument that you thought was really good, and by the end of this conversation, nothing in your world makes sense any longer, and you're just uh, saying really dumb things. The actual definition of this is whatever implies that which is false is itself false. Okay, Just hang with me. Take what your opponent is saying and take it to its logical conclusion. If what you're saying is true, let's follow that all the way out and see what that means. Let's apply it to everything else. Let's take that to the furthest end. So, one of the most common things that unbelievers will throw at us today when we ask the question about morality is morality is determined by what the culture kind of agrees, the social contract, if you've ever heard that word. What the culture around you determines is right and wrong. That's what's moral, okay? If we've determined today that it is legally okay and socially acceptable to murder babies in the womb, then guess what? It's legally acceptable to do it now. That's the argument. It's morally okay because culture has said it was. The problem with that argument then, if what has happened, I'm sorry, if what culture agrees upon is what's right, that would make men such as Martin Luther King evil because they're opposing what the culture is saying. They're immoral. They're saying what the culture is doing is wrong. So that would require the unbeliever then to condemn a man such as Martin Luther King. That's absurdity. That's absurdity. That's forcing them to accept a premise that they truthfully don't want to. Now, I will go and warn you, you'll come across a nut job every now and then who doesn't care if it's absurd or not. They're going to stay consistent. And <laughs> they're going to, just for the sake of the argument, well, then, yeah, he was wrong. Well, then I'm not going to argue with it anymore because you're dumb. <laughs> <sighs> that happens. Another example of this dealing with evolution. If evolution is true, then there are no reasons for it to be true. Let me explain what I mean by that real quick. If evolution is true, all you and I are are the products of chance, over, chance of millions of years of chemical compounds just happening, chemical explosions just happening. That's all we are. 
which also means that we're essentially machines of nature. Okay, you understand what I'm saying? We're machines of nature, which means we don't have the ability to think. No, what we say, what we believe about the world is really just what our brain has you know, chemically evolved to tell us to believe and to think, which is to say there is no ability to think at all. And now here we are as animals with no ability to think and reason because evolution doesn't provide us with that ability, we're just machines. Here we are where you're trying to convince me to believe what you think. So what, what you want to do in reductio ad absurdum and reducing to absurdity, you want to you follow your opponent's argument to its logical conclusion. If we are nothing more than chance, biological protoplasm in a bag, if we're nothing more than that, that means we don't have the ability to free think either. We don't have the ability to reason either. And if we don't have the ability to reason, why are you trying to convince me of your reasons for believing this? Well, we'll be sharpening the axe to cut down old Donner's oak. We'll be sharpening the axe to cut down old Donner's oak. We'll be sharpening the axe to cut down old Donner's oak. For the Lord, he's stronger far. And we all belong to Jerusalem above. We all